The Art of Leadership Network. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Unfair Advantage Podcast for Church Planters. My name is Andy Wood, and I'll be your host. And today we're going to jump into our fourth episode in the Unfair Advantage repertoire. You're going to hear from my mentor, Pastor Steve Stroop. He was the founding pastor of Lake Point Church just outside of Dallas. Uh, I would venture to say that Steve is one of the wisest people I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, Steve has walked through our church planting process with us. In the beginning, we were on phone calls monthly. Now it's a little different. And these days, it's a lot more of these like short 10, 15-minute conversations. But I've gained so much through my relationship with Steve. And you're going to hear that in this conversation. You're going to hear his wisdom, his strategy, his thinking, how he uh, breaks down a vision into process and steps. And for a lot of church planters, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of church planters, uh, they got vision, but sometimes strategy is harder to come by. And this conversation is going to help you gain a strategy really that uh, gives you the steps to, to launch a church. And so I think you're going to be encouraged and challenged and equipped by this conversation. Now, before we jump in, a couple of our uh, sponsors and people that I want to thank. I want to say thank you to Food for the Hungry for partnering with us to pull this podcast off. Uh, this is a great resource for church leaders a great way to make a difference in a community through a fantastic organization. So head over to fh.org slash churches to get more information from Food for the Hungry and to partner together with them to make a difference. Also, uh, thank you to the Art of Leadership Network. Thank you, Carrie Newhoff. Thank you for partnering with us. Uh, actually, the Art of Leadership Network has just come out with some great resources for church and business leaders and we want to encourage you to check them out at kerrynewhoff.com. Also have so many great podcasts. One of my favorite during this season is by my good friend, Sean Morgan, Leaders in Living Rooms. And he talks to church leaders. He talks a lot about transitions. And so in my most recent season of leadership, I stepped into a new role and I've been learning from that. But there's all kinds of resources. I want to encourage you to check that out. Now, I'm guessing that you're listening to this because you're a church planter. And I'm going to share with you some exciting things that we're doing for church planters through the Ascent Leader on the back end of this conversation with Pastor Steve Stroop. Well, I'm here with Steve Stroop, the founding pastor of Lake Point Church outside of Dallas. Steve is not only a savant church planter, church leader, uh, he's the Yoda of strategy and church finance and uh, one of the wisest leaders that I've ever had the privilege of being around. So, Steve, it's great to be with you today to talk about church planting. Andy, it is always great to be with you, and you're too kind. The One of the reasons I'd like to hang around you is you make me feel more important than I really am. Well, it's hard to um, overstate the significance that you've had in our journey here. Uh, we've had a lot of these church planting calls throughout the years. And I know that uh, you've been a mentor, not just to, to our church and to, my, to me as a leader, but to a lot of church planters. Uh, and God's given you a bigger kingdom role right now that has happened since you've transitioned from Lake Point. Talk a little bit about what you're doing now with the kingdom of God. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun and I have had for the last five decades. But after 40 years of pastoring a local church, which was a blast, I handed that baton off about two years ago. And uh, I'm, I'm doing a couple of things now. One of the things that I'm doing is I'm heading up an organization called the Strategic Launch Network. And it was actually started out of Lake Point Church. And its, uh, its vision basically is to plant churches in the hardest to reach places in our nation, cities like 
uh, your city, San Jose and San Francisco and Denver and Boston and uh, L.A., a uh, place where uh, the body bags of church planters are stacked pretty deep. And we just feel uniquely called to that. And a part of that is to find some of the best church planters that there are to work in these very hard areas. And so I'm doing that. I'm also serving as a consultant and a life coach to both profits and nonprofit organizations. And then in my spare time, uh, I'm uh, just enjoying being with uh, my grandkids. I've got five grandkids from age six to 21. And so uh, as I describe it to people who say, how's the transition going? I say, uh, these are the good old days. I was eating at the full buffet and now I get to eat just at the dessert buffet. I'm doing the things that I enjoy the most. That's awesome. Yeah. And you, uh, you're investing in some very, very significant roles in business and in the kingdom of God. And, um, I, you know, we kind of talk, Josh, your successor and I kind of talk about how many different places that you find yourself in the middle of so many key decisions and, uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, you've, you've progressed to this place um, in wisdom and strategy over a 40-year period of time, but you started uh, when you were 26, 27 at Lake Point Church. Yes. Yeah. Talk about how that journey got started for you in leadership. Well, you know, I've always had a passion for lost people. Uh, it was one, one of my spiritual gifts is evangelism. And so when I was uh, uh, actually a high school student, I knew that God wanted me to spend an inordinate amount of my time uh, reaching people for Christ. And I did that through youth ministry for several years. And then I did it uh, through Young Life. And I think both of those experience, uh, experiences prepared me for church planting because uh, it was really going into foreign territory all by yourself and trying to find a beachhead. Uh, reach a few people for Christ and then lead them to reach their friends for Christ. And so I actually was in seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary when uh, a group of families who wanted to start a brand new church east of Dallas approached me and they said, would you be our first pastor? They'd already started meeting. They were running about 50 people. And they said that I could have the freedom to approach reaching people through a church that I had used in both student ministry and in young life, that we could be innovative, that we could be entrepreneur, that we could be uh, normal. And, and I knew, I knew a lot of churches that weren't very normal, that didn't make very much sense. that seemed to be alienating the people, the very people that they were trying to reach and to have the freedom uh, to start from scratch and to do it perhaps in a better way, not a perfect way, but a better way was very enticing to me. That's good. And there were six families that started with you. And there were a, a number of those families that were with you for many decades. Is that right? Yeah, they had the same heart that I did. I was 26 at the year. Uh, it's 26 years old. I was a baby boomer. Most of them were builders. They were a little bit older, but they really did have a heart for reaching the young families that were moving into the area where we planted the church. We planted our church in, a, in an area where they were building a lot of new homes, but they were small homes, starter homes. And so the, our audience really was uh, young couples having their first kids, owning their first house, buying their first car. And so uh, we, we were able to start on the ground floor of building a church while a community was being built. Mm -hmm. Were you, when you started the church, what was your vision at that point? Like how, how much did you see of what it became? 
Yeah, what I never saw was a size vision. I, I didn't have a vision that, you know, one day we'd run 40,000 people or whatever. My vision was to have a church that was healthy and a church that made sense. And what I realized after a while is that people are hungry for both of those things. Uh, you know, it, instead of yelling at people, you know, we actually have sound systems now. You don't have to yell at people. You can talk to people in a conversational language. And then after pastoring for a few years, I realized we were all dressing up to go to church because our parents did and their parents did. But most of the people I was trying to reach, they at the time, they were blue collared. They didn't have suits and fancy dresses to wear to church. So we decided we'd wear the clothes that they were wearing. And all of a sudden they felt more comfortable. And then this may come as a shock to people, but I found that people don't like to sit through 45 minute to an hour sermons who were lost people. They wanted the truth, but they wanted in, in more of an hors d'oeuvre to begin before they were ready for the filet mignon. And so short messages, casual dress, uh, what we later on called contemporary music, which I just call really heart music. It's whatever music you normally listen to that moves you emotionally, uh, that relates to you. It, all that made sense. And so my vision was a, have a church that made sense. I never wanted someone to come up to me and ask me what we were doing. And then I had to explain it to them. And they said, well, why are you doing it that way? And I couldn't, I couldn't logically tell them that we had a good reason to do that. And so we eliminated everything that didn't make sense, everything that wasn't tied down in the Bible. And we just put the cookies on the lower shelf without compromising the truth. And we found out there was a, there was a, a great audience, even among lost people for that product. Mm -hmm. Was your growth uh, steady? Was it like a, you know, peaks and valleys, like how did, how did that happen over the course of time? Yeah, ours was a little different than a lot of churches that I've seen. We had just, uh, I call it oak tree growth. In other words, we grew slow, but really strong. And so for the first 28 years, every single year, we were larger than the previous year, but not substantially. And I think part of it was reflecting where we were. We're in a suburb outside of Dallas. And that the suburb didn't really catch fire population-wise until about 10 years ago. It was just really steady, slow growth, but we actually grew with the community. And so for 28 years, solid, we were growing. And uh, we've had a couple of years that we didn't grow, but we didn't regress because it was such solid growth that uh, we picked up again the next year. So in 40 years, we grew slowly from about 50 people meeting in a bait house on the shores of Lake Ray Hubbard to about an average of around 12 to 13,000 each week. Uh, when I handed off the baton several years later, just slow, strong, healthy growth. Mm -hmm. One of the most helpful co concepts that you drilled into me on many of our coaching calls early when we planted our church, I would, I'd be like, well, I don't know if we're making progress. And I remember you saying a lot in the first year, you won't know you're making how much progress you're making until you get to year two. And that concept of the growth gap, not being a percentage growth gap, but a numerical uh, growth gap. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that mindset is so important for a church planter to embrace? Yeah. And every environment is different, but most, most churches are going to have one or two seasons where the bottom drops out for Texas, it's the summer, you know, people disappear in the summer. They want to go on vacation. They want to go someplace it's cooler, or at least where they can take more clothes off for the heat. And so for you to compare your attendance as a church planner in May to June, well, 
you know, somebody's going to have to talk you off the ledge because things, you know, went down. Well, uh, you don't want to compare May to June. You want to compare June to a year ago, June. And that's what I call the growth gap is, is how much more are we running today than we were the same month, the same season as we were last year. And that's the true sense of growth. And so a first year church planner, he doesn't know, or she doesn't know how good they're doing until they're at least one year out. And then I want to look at that growth gap. And if I'm running, say 50 more people, numerical, not percentage, I've always said to you, if you're running two people this year and you're running four people next year, you didn't grow by a hundred percent. You grew by two people. And because statistics or percentages rather will lie to you. But the growth gap is, is and, and when I look at it, is if I'm running 50 more in June this year than June last year, and then if I'm running 50 more or maybe even 49 or 51 more in July than I was a year ago in July, well, I've got a growth gap that's pretty constant. And I know that if last year I was running 200 and my growth gap in June and July is 50, then I'm probably going to have a growth gap of 50 in September. And, and then I already know several months in advance that I'm going to need to add a second service because if my growth gap remains the same and it usually does, uh, then, then I know when I'm going to run out of parking, when I'm going to run out of seats, uh, there, there's a growth gap in attendance. There's also a growth gap in a number of baptisms or growth gap in your finances. And you can do a better job of projecting the future than the snapshot of this week versus last week. I hate it when church planners say, Oh, we were down $10,000 this week from the week before. Yeah, because the week before was payday. You don't compare week to week. You compare month to month. People don't get paid by the week. They get paid by the month. And you need to compare not only this month to another month, but it, you really ought to be comparing this month to a year ago, the same month, because people get their bonuses or people get their raises at a certain time. The people get the IRS uh, you know, rebate at a certain time of year. And so you always want to look in a, in a broader sense. And then I also say that nothing is a pattern until it happens three times in a row. And so you may have an aberration of a gust on a particular weekend of a certain amount, but that doesn't mean that you're going to have that kind of growth every week. Uh, or every week in that month, that's going to be your growth gap. You want to look for patterns and patterns usually start showing up about the third time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. The other um, aspect of this that I think is super helpful is that for a church planter, if you obsess about the short term quantitative, like all the measurements and you're, you know, you think you're thinking about that way too much, you won't actually be focused on the input. So, you know, you have your leading and lagging indicators of of success and health and fruit. And it's those leading indicators that will help you get to that destination in the future. What do you think are some of the most significant and important leading indicators of success or fruitfulness? Well, I, I I like setting goals that are more process goals than product goals. In other words, I don't want to set a goal of, hey, we're going to baptize 100 people next year. I mean, where where do we get these goals? We pull them out of some dark crevice, uh, and it usually rhymes with the next year that we're going into. And it's it's about that strategic. Uh, you know, instead, what I want to do is I want to set a goal that I'm going to preach on uh, sharing your faith at least twice a year. I'm going to set a goal that I'm going to have uh, 30% of my adult congregation commit to selecting three names of people they know who don't know Christ and making a commitment to pray for them every day, 
seek to share a witness when God opens the door, and then if they show any interest at all, to invite them to church. Uh, I'm going to set a, a goal that by uh, September, I'm going to have a witness training course with some really good hacks on how to improve you telling your gospel story uh, online by September so that when I start the new year, our people have access to that and I can preach a series on it and point them to that. You know, Those are the kinds of goals that I want to set because I want to create leading indicators rather than focusing on a goal uh, of a lagging uh, in- indicator. Yeah, that's good. One of the illustrations that uh, several of the, the pastors, we've all used this, is the two cans on stage, and it's the I can and God can. And a lot of what we're talking about is the stuff that goes in the I can. They're the, they're the things that I can do as a leader. And then between there and that moment of a baptism service or an Easter service or you know the, the evangelistic outreach that a church planter does, there's a, there's a God component to that that only God can do. And it almost seems like God, God tends to favor when we're faithful with what we can do and we don't obsess about his job. He seems to do a really good job with his job. Yeah, I found that he doesn't like for me to set goals for him either. Uh, he, <laughs> you know, uh, the, it, the, it really is the law of the harvest, isn't it? I mean, which is yeah. a solid biblical principle that if we plant seeds, those seeds don't, we don't see the results of them immediately. But when there comes a time of harvesting, uh, we will see the fact if we didn't pay attention to the season of planting, then it's too late at that point to try to manufacture a harvest that we didn't plant for and we didn't plan for. And, yeah. and not only is there planting, there is watering, there is weeding, there's a, there's a process. And so I think we concentrate, as you said, on our can of, of, of what God has commanded us to do. And oh my goodness, that he's given us the privilege of getting to participate in his process. Uh, he, he, will, he will keep his part of the bargain, uh, but we've mm-hmm. got to do ours. Yeah, that's good. One of the um, shifts I know that you started to make over time was resourcing leaders more, right? So you started, I've seen you do this little diagram where you do ministry, you lead ministry, you lead leaders of ministry, leaders of leaders of ministries, and then you resource leaders of leaders of ministry. And um, you're, you're in a season now where you're doing a lot of resourcing, but that's been like a 20 year journey for you. And God gave you kind of that unique wiring to, to coach, to consult, to strategically jump into really complex situations and come up with simple solutions. Can you talk about how that whole part of your calling emerged for you? Yeah, I, I think uh, one of my spiritual gifts is strategic leadership, and it's the ability to see where we are and where God wants us to go and then to create a path between here and there. And that's a natural thing. My, my wife tells me all the time, she says, I'm strategic even when nobody wants me to be, okay? We'll go to a restaurant and I'm, and I'm rearranging the tables and where the wait stands are and how the kitchen flows. And she said, she turns, she leans over and says, Steve, this is not your meeting, okay? And so I, it's I, my, my progression through that was a, a natural progression because it's just the way that God gifted me. Now, I will say this. I think just like God gives the gift of giving, and some people specialize in that. All of us are commanded to give. And, and there's a gift of faith where people have an inordinate ability to believe in God, but all of us are commanded to have faith. And, 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 and some people have the gift of evangelism, but all of us are called upon to witness. And so I think every leader needs to move through that progression. 
And as you know, Andy, what I talk about is that you don't move from doing ministry to leading ministry. It's not, you don't move from one category to the other. It's just how, what percentage of your time is spent on that level. And so here I am, 69 years old. I've been in ministry for over 50 years. I haven't stopped doing ministry, but I'm spending less of my time actually doing ministry than I'm spending in resourcing leaders. And I haven't stopped leading, but I'm doing less leading, a a lesser percentage of my time, energy and effort is going into leading and, and more is into that third stage of leading leaders. And so as, as time goes on, when I first began and was planting, I wasn't resourcing any leaders. It was 0% in resourcing leaders. And I had probably 80% actually doing ministry, maybe 10% in leading people and maybe 10% in leading leaders. And then as the years have gone on, it's a progression. It's a, it's a gradual evolution where less and less time is spent in the first categories and more and more are spent. I was probably 10, I would say 10, 20 years into a 40-year ministry here at Lake Point before people really began to look toward me to say, would you resource us to be leaders of leaders? And mm-hmm. so it's it's a progression. And, and obviously life, uh, paying dumb tax, uh, reading, uh, being around other great leaders, uh, all of that equips you for that season of life where you can resource leaders. But I think it's it's way one of the ways you pay back those who have poured into you is to begin to pour in, spend more of your time uh, pouring into uh, younger leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you seemed like in terms of church planting that you kind of hit a wave with that. Was it like 2001 when you really jumped into starting to uh, coach church planters? Yeah, in 2001, God gave me a vision. I went to New York City in 2001, and I had never been there before. I don't know why. I just never had any reason to go. And I was there, and I started seeing all these high-rise condominiums and figuring out, doing the math of how many people lived in just one of those large buildings. And I asked the question, I said, where are the great churches here in this city that influences not only America, but also is influencing the world? And they could point out a few, but it it was really stark in terms of the num- number of influential churches that were really hitting the ball over the fence. And God just burdened my heart for us to start a church in New York City. And so that's where we started the first church uh, there in Manhattan. And it took us about four years to firmly plant that church. We gave all of our attention to it. And then we turned around and we planted a second one in New York and that at the same time planted one in Portland, Oregon, and one in Las Vegas, Nevada. And again, took about three years that time to do that. And then all of a sudden we found ourselves planting a church almost every year. And then it became two or three a year. And then it became four or five. Now we're, we're planting about 10 a year in these under-resourced areas. But it began uh, with New York City back in 2001. It was interesting. Uh, Nelson Searcy was our first church planner that we worked with. He came out of Saddleback Church, and uh, he was on the ground, had just moved into his apartment about five days before the planes hit the World Trade Center. Mm. And so it was a very unique time to be in church planning, but God opened. God knew that was going to happen mm-hmm. and wanted Nelson there to be on the ground floor to help those people who were saying, where is God in all of this, uh, to give them an answer. Yeah. In in that process, like you, you started to clarify a, a profile of a church planter and some of the key patterns. Can you talk about those? 
Yeah, when we started looking for church planters, uh, we found there were a lot of people who were reading books on church planting, and they had all the answers when you interviewed them, but we found out they didn't have the necessary uh, personality nor the skill set to be successful. Andy, I tell you, I don't know of a harder job than church planting. I really don't. So you better be gifted by God and called by God and have some a support system of partnership churches and mentors in order to, to make a real difference. And so here, here's what we found out, uh, not in any particular order, but, but we found out that, uh, uh, first of all, a per- person had to have a certain personality. For years, we had used DISC, D-I-S-C, and we found that best church planners, and God, God is messy. He always works outside of our little formula, so there's always exceptions to this. But as a general rule, that uh, uh, I always say as a general rule, you want a worship leader who knows something about music and who can sing. Now, maybe there's some exceptions to that, but a church planner needs to be a DI or an ID on the disc. And then we started using a tool called Culture Index, which is a little more accurate tool than disc to uh, ascertain. Uh, and and there, there are certain profiles in that Culture Index where someone is autonomous in their thinking, but they have a relational side to them. And that's the whole DI or ID and so we found that's true. Number two is I found out that, you know, that, that somebody needed to be able to communicate God's truth. Uh, you know, people would recommend a church planner to me and I'd go listen to one of their sermons. And I'll tell you the truth. I wouldn't have them lead one of my small groups, much less to plant a church that the guy can't teach. And, and I'm not talking about perfection here. You could listen to a guy or a gal teach and you can tell if they have the raw basic ability that could be developed, but they had to be a good teacher. Uh, we found that they needed to have had success in some other endeavor other than church planting if they were going to be good at church planting. This didn't need to be their first rodeo and either building a build a business or being a successful youth minister or, or a a good teaching pastor, but they needed to have some record of success where you can see that they pushed through what Seth Godin calls the dip, that hard point that you come to in every church plant where you've got to have grit and you've got to push through that. So uh, a certain personality, a preaching gift, a success in some other area uh, 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 of endeavor. And then the most important, as you know, is character. Mm-hmm. And so we learned we either had to know these people very, very well, or we had to know somebody very well who knew them very well and could vouch for their character. Mm-hmm. As you know, the three C's are competency, that's about the preaching and leading and all that stuff. The other is uh, character. Uh, and I wish there was a test for that. You could give somebody you can't, you have to spend time with someone to know if they have character or not. And then the, the other one is chemistry. And, and for us, chemistry, we were looking for uh, somebody that we enjoyed being around. And the, and the people that we enjoyed being around were people who were humble and who were learners, mm-hmm. who didn't think they knew everything. They were willing to learn. And uh, they were people who loved the lost people and were willing not just to circle the wagons and draw all the Christians from other churches, but they really were going after the unreached. And and that's who we had chemistry with. Humble learners who were hardworking, who had a heart for the lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things coming back to the character, um, a, a good litmus test. You remember the whole Henry Cloud. Everywhere somebody goes, they leave awake, and you, we, they leave awake with relationships and responsibilities. 
And so you can kind of look behind a person and see what that wake is to know, okay, is this, what is this person really like? The best indicator, I think maybe I've heard you say this before, the best indicator of future performance is past behavior. No question. And that, and that's true of their competency as well as their character. You want to look at their results. Uh, I've always said when it comes to competency, which is like character, people are not good at what they say they're good at. They're actually good at what they're good at. And the only way you can tell what they're good at is to look to see what they've been at. Right. And, right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, if a guy, and this sounds terrible, but if a guy says, I'm really great at reaching and discipling teenagers and he's 55 years old and his youth ministry is running 22 students, I, I'm going to at least slow down and, and say, maybe not. Maybe this is not really where you're going to do your best work. Uh, the results mean something. And yeah, that's yeah. part of the feedback. We, we find out what we're good at and what our unique ability is by uh, listening to others, getting good feedback from others, but also by looking at our results. And I think also looking in our heart to see what we're passionate about, what energizes us. When you're working in your unique ability, you have more energy there because it's who God made you to be and you don't get worn out as quick, which means you can do more and you can have more productivity. But I think it's your, your passion for it your results, and then the feedback of others. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, one of the things that's been really interesting too is as you talk to a lot of people that are quote-unquote called to plant a church and you start to drill down what's the wiring here, it seems that God will put desire for church planting in people's hearts, but maybe they're not necessarily called to be a lead church planter. There you go. And, and they're called to be a part of a team. And it seems that in that process, people can mistake that call to say, oh, well, I, I have this call to church planting, but there are a lot of really great church planters, but they don't have they don't have that person, that right-hand person or the team of people. And we've seen now, you know, what I don't know if it's like 60-something, close to 70 churches uh, through the Strategic Launch Network, we've seen the power of not only having a great leader at the helm, but those leaders having a good team. Can you talk about that? Yeah, there's no question. And the truth is, is that your the first team member that you have is probably not going to be anything like you. The, the, the thing that I've seen fail time and time again is where a couple of guys were seminary uh, uh, friends or they were roommates in college and they dreamed about going to start a church together and they have exactly the same skill set. You know, they're, they're both alpha leaders and both of them are great teachers or whatever. And then what they've got is they've got two salaries that now they have to support who are doing exactly the same thing. And that's a duplication that they're probably not ready for for another 20 years. And so you're right. going to actually hire, you know, the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. You're going to hire somebody who has a totally different set of skills, but the same passion and the same calling that you have. Uh, of course, First Corinthians 12 talks about that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the team, you got to have a team. I want to build a team around me that is built around my strengths. That's a positive way of saying built around my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the great books on this is a book called rocket fuel. And in that book, he talks about the, the visionary. And I believe he uses the term integrator, but those two that work together, and sometimes, like in our story, you know, Felipe, who started the church with us, he's also a, he's he's also really wired to lead. Like he's got a, a spiritual gift of leadership, uh, but he's he really did en enjoy that second chair role. 
And I think that that's, it's unique because not every, not every lead pastor has the same weaknesses. And there are other guys that are kind of that DI and maybe they, they're really bad with details and they have a, they have a hard time organizing themselves out of a bag. And uh, you've talked a little bit about the importance of finding somebody who's good administratively to start with you. Talk about that role. You've said before, I think you, you would, after hiring a worship leader, make your, your third hire uh, an administrative assistant. Is that right? Yeah, a, a highly capable administrative assistant. I'm not just looking for somebody to answer the phone. I'm looking for someone to cross T's, dot I's. You know, I think every day, you and I, Andy, are going to do things that fall into one of four categories. And this is uh, stuff that comes from Dan Sullivan, an executive coach. He said, we're going to do things that are bad or things that we're good at, things that we're great at, or things that are unique ability. And most of us have stopped doing things that we're bad at out of pure embarrassment. Uh, no time during this interview will I break into song. Uh, but we struggle with things that we're just good at or that we're great at. Uh, and, and I think what we want to do is we want to find somebody whose unique ability, uh, is exactly the opposite of ours. And, and I can't think of anybody more than that, than a really highly capable executive administrative assistant. Now, some people will hire uh, an executive pastor, uh, next and that's fine. But I, I think a lot of times, uh, we, we don't know enough about ourselves. We don't know enough about our church. We don't know enough about uh, everything, or we can't afford the the, the highly capable uh, executive pastor. And a good way to start is to fill that gap with a great uh, administrative assistant. They're less expensive. You, you're going to be careful the titles you give to people. You call somebody our our, our comptroller, you're going to pay one salary. You call them your chief financial officer. It's the same person. You're going to have to pay twice as much money to them. So be careful about what titles you give. I, I do know this. I had an administrative assistant at one time that was so good at personnel that she became our HR director. She grew into the job, but the, the key was that she knew a whole lot more about compliance issues and HR and insurance and all that than I did. So we hired her as an administrative assistant. And then we found she had the capability to grow into that job, to benchmark other people, to do, go and take courses. And, and then we looked up and she was running an HR department for a church that had 250 full-time staff members. Wow. Wow. Yeah, the, I think that the part of the principle here is when you look at what you're you're good at, and then there are things that somebody can take off of your plate so that you can stay focused on the things that you're good at. And in in our situation, we ha- by God's grace, we had great churches like Lake Point that partnered with us, so we were able to get a stronger start. And that's that's a whole nother podcast about the importance of raising resources. But that that empowered us to be able to have one person that was really focused, he, like he worked with me on ministry. So, you know, Felipe did a lot more f- follow-up, one-on-one appointments, that kind of stuff. I was able to focus more on strategy and big picture and vision. And then we had an administrative assistant, but that principle of what are you good at? What's your unique contribution? Finding somebody outside of that uh, is so crucial. I'd love to to shift a little bit, you know, looking back 42 plus years and you you think about some of the key lessons and key decisions what would you say were some of the most important decisions that you made along the way both as a church planter and a a, a pastor that helped you run this race 
to pass the baton to the next generation. Your kids love Jesus. Your grandkids love Jesus. Talk about that finishing strong aspect of, of being a church planter. Yeah, and this, this, my first answer is going to sound like it's more strategic than personal, but it had a great impact on the personal aspect. About five years in, I all of a sudden discovered the purpose of small groups. I had grown up in a Southern Baptist church. We had Sunday school. And so when I started church, I started Sunday schools for couples, for men, for women. But I didn't really understand where it fit into the strategies until I really did a study of it. And, the, and, the, and my study was, it's Acts, the second chapter, 3,000 people are saved on the very first day of the very first church, which we, we need to note the very first church, the very first Christian church was a mega church. So they are not all bad. Uh, big is not bad. Bad is bad. And, and the only reason we think badly of mega churches is because they hit the newspaper. Nobody cares that there's a bunch of small churches that are corrupt. Okay. But that's a different <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden I realized that the, there, there's two wings to the airplane. One is a evangelism. The other is discipleship. Uh, we're to baptize them, them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever he's commanded us. And the primary vehicle for evangelism uh, is the large group. It's for some reason, uh, the people gather and, and when they get curious about spiritual things, they show up in somebody's church of all things on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. That's our best place to share the gospel. It's not all we do there. We also have to build believers there. But the, the primary vehicle for discipleship is the small group. And when I recognized that, that the small group needed to be, that was essential and needed to be different, I started empowering our small group leaders like our small group leaders serve communion. Our small group leaders baptize the people that get saved out of their small group or the family members who get saved out of their small group. In other words, they were under shepherds. They were a, a pastor of a smaller group. And here was a group that was studying God's word. That was their content in the context of relationships. And that's where most of the discipleship was going on. So when, when I discovered the importance of small groups, and in, in spite of the fact that my spiritual gift is evangelism, and that's where my heart beats the fastest, I gave an inordinate amount of attention to getting people, creating a clear path for them to get into healthy small groups where discipleship could be taken. What happened was it took a load off of me and I didn't become the lid for the growth of our church or the, the breadth of our impact. And I didn't sacrifice my family or my relationship with God in order to keep up with the growth of our church. Because as uh, Rick Warren says we were growing larger and smaller at the same time. Every time we were adding to the, the big number, we were adding uh, small groups who would then disciple and provide pastoral care. You know, uh, when I, when I passed the baton after 40 years, I, I, I considered a point of pride that I did not do most of the funerals in our church. More funerals were done by small group leaders than by me and that I didn't baptize hardly anybody. Uh, a small group leaders did it, and 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 uh, and we were literally, as it says in Ephesians, equipping the saints to be ministers. Mm -hmm. And that's that really when 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 I realized the power of the small group to do that, and empowered and trained them to do that, and held them accountable, and provided coaching so that they could do that effectively, uh, it really allowed me to 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 uh, to, to have. A, a scalability and a sanity and a sustainability to leading a growing church. It's so good. 
Yeah, and there, I know that you made some key decisions with your family and the nights that you were out and yeah. just really m- making sure that your schedule was not all over the place. And I, th- that's one of the themes that we've hit on in every podcast now is just this reality that it's possible to be a great leader and win in the kingdom of God and also win at home and win with your family. Andy, every day when I leave the office, uh, I, I've never left saying, oh, goodness, I got it all done early today. It's all done. There's always a pile of stuff that could be done. And so you just have to draw a line and go home. And 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 I remember you referred to it. I remembered about it was about the same time that I discovered the real purpose of small groups about five years into the ministry. I, I realized that some of my heroes uh, had clay feet to the to the extent that their children hated Jesus and hated the local church because their dads chose the local church instead of them. Mm-hmm. And I just decided I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't, my, my kids at the time were, my two girls were two and four years old. And I just decided that I was going to, uh, I wasn't going to lose them in order to pass church. And I literally, and you've heard me talk about this, Andy, I had a funeral in my heart and I decided, okay, I will never be the pastor of a large church. It never really was my goal to be that, but kind of there's a part of me, the 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 lesser part of me, uh, the human part of me that you know you know you go into a room and they say, well, how many are you running? And then everybody gets rated in the room and ranked in the room if they they deserve a conversation or not by how big their number is. And I knew that, but I, I had a funeral that day that I'll never pastor a large church because I will not be gone every night and I will not. Uh, work to the point that when I get home, my family doesn't get any of my energy. And and you know the story. Our church, from that point on, when I had that little funeral in my heart, our church started growing at a faster clip than ever before because two things happened. One is God decided that he would do something special in our church when I accepted his commandment to me that my first ministry was my ministry to my family. And that I had disqualified myself if I didn't minister to them first. And he began to do what only he could do. And the other thing is when I chose not to do everything, people for whom it was their unique ability had to step up and do it. And I had to train people to do it. And all of a sudden I stopped being the lid. And so the very thing that I thought would keep us from being a, a large church, me being faithful to my calling as a husband and a dad, actually was the thing that propelled us to have a greater impact. Mm, that's so good. It's so good. There's so much wisdom here, Steve. I'm grateful for your investment in these church planters and uh, all the ways that you've invested in me. Uh, before we wrap up our time, is there any last thing that you'd like to say? Yeah, I, I think the thing is, is that uh, we all need to be self-aware of the fact that there's a lot of good in us that Jesus has built into us. And because of that, there's a lot of things that we do for the right reason. But we are still in process. We are not sanctified. We have not been completely formed into the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we always need to be aware of that. And we need to have people in our life who love us enough that they'll speak truth into our life with love. Uh, People that we trust who have our best interest at heart and who are allowed to be close enough to us that they can see what's really going on. And then to be humble enough to take uh, reprimand, to take challenge, mm-hmm. 
and to pray to the Holy Spirit of God, a prayer that I have never failed to see him answer immediately, uh, that David prayed when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thought and see if there be any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. I've never bowed my head and closed my eyes and said, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you want to get out of my life? He never stutters. I don't know why. He never stutters. He never pauses. He always has something to tell me. And, and, and he's a gentleman. He doesn't tell me everything at one time. He tells me the thing that's going to make the most difference that he thinks I can handle at that time. But we have, you know, when Jesus found the disciples asleep in the garden, he said, watch and pray. Mm -hmm. Uh, Be aware of the fact that there's an enemy out there, but keep talking to me because I'll tell you what you need to know to defeat that enemy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Wow. Steve, thank you so much for investing in us today. And we're grateful for for your kingdom contribution. You've impacted thousands of leaders. You've impacted my life. I love you and I'm deeply grateful for you. You know, it's a joy and a privilege. Thank you for being along on the journey and for investing in the next generation. Well, thank you, Steve, for that wisdom. Uh, I hope that you can take some time to process that. You know what Steve shared in there about the whole concept of the growth gap literally has changed my ministry. And one of the things that I've noticed as a leader in particular in my role that a lot of times I'm, I'm discouraged. And part of the reason why I can get discouraged is because I have the wrong metrics in mind and even the wrong way of measuring. So Steve talked about the whole idea of the growth gap and not thinking so much about percentages, but thinking about numbers. That will be a game changer for you if you embrace that. To think year over year, not week to week, and to take the long view, to say, how do I stay faithful for a really long period of time? And if you do, if you do the right thing for the right reason, for the right length of time, you're gonna get the right result. So thanks, Steve, for your wisdom. Also, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you, Food for the Hungry, fh.org. Uh, slash churches. For more information, you can go there. Also, thank you, Kerry Newhoff with the Art of Leadership Network. And last but certainly not least, the Ascent Leader. Uh, Sean Morgan has done a fantastic job building an organization to equip leaders. And he's doing this with church planters. We're partnering together with cohorts. I'd love for you to be a part of one. It's going to be incredible. We already did our first one. We're forming our second one. So go over to the Ascent Leader org. Check out the cohorts and fill out an application and join us. I think you'll love it. We, we were in my house in June and these guys who are from all over the country were there. They were asking questions, learning, growing together, building good friendships. And I'm excited about some of these friendships that are going to go for a lifetime. You know, there's something about doing ministry and having some other people that you know that are doing the same role that you can encourage each other, you can learn. Sometimes some of the best learnings come from those people. And so I want to encourage you. These cohorts, what they do is they gather together three times throughout the course of the year. So they have one gathering and at the gathering, they'll they'll be there for two nights. They have a mentor, different mentor at each location, a coach that goes with them every location and the same nine church planters the whole time. We cap it at nine because we want it to be a small group that is intimate where you get to know each other and you get equipped. And uh, it's, it's really, really a great step for church planters. I wish that I had this when I was starting the church from scratch. So I want to encourage you, head over to theascentleader.org, and we would love to resource you in this journey with church planting. Thanks so much for joining us today for 
this episode of the Unfair Advantage podcast for church planters. We would love to continue the dialogue and we'd love it if you'd share this with friends, with other church planters, uh, comment, give us some reviews and let's spread the love. Let's help other church planters win early and finish strong. Thanks so much for joining us today. We look forward to being with you on the next episode of the Unfair Advantage podcast.